Hello and welcome to Taking Social Stock. My name's Andrew. And I'm Heather. This is episode 12 of Taking Social Stock. And in this week, since it is Thanksgiving tomorrow, or probably when you're hearing this, we wanted to change up the episode a little bit. It's going to be a little shorter, but we're also going to cover three kind of brief topics. So I'm going to sandwich some good news with some bad news and some good news. (laughs) Our first topic is going to be this article I saw about Portland, Oregon, and this initiative they kind of have going on or this service they're providing to the unhoused population where they've created these, they call them pod houses, I think, but they're basically prefabbed homes about 50, 60 square feet that they can put together in basically like 30 minutes, only takes two people, basically bolts it together, it provides a safe location that has doors, windows, locks, has heat, power. Looks like a very small house. It's basically a small house just without a bathroom and water. Okay. From what I can tell. Yeah. And this is something they're doing to replace tents and people, you know, where people are living in the city. So they have a warmer place now that we're approaching winter. It's a really cool story. And being in Missouri, there are, we have a couple metro areas throughout Missouri, right? So we have Kansas City and there's a nonprofit in that town or in that city that focuses on veterans who are unhoused and they've started building these tiny homes. St. Louis is also getting ready to institute tiny homes for the broader unhoused population. St. Louis has dealt with a lot of um, a closure of a, a homeless shelter a few years ago and not has there hasn't been the great solution to the challenges with the unhoused population. So eager to hear how these continue in our state, but also it's cool to hear about how it's happening in other communities as well. And, you know, we've been to to Portland. We can talk a little bit about that, of what we saw of the unhoused population there. Reading this story and the, the little video that went along with it and interviewing one of the men who will be using the home and hearing a little bit of his story, it is, it's encouraging because It could be potentially very life-changing to be able to come home and take off the day and not have to look over your back. That is, that's huge. Um, And that's something that so many people don't have and now more will. Yeah, and it's one of the toughest needs to address Mm -hmm. for the unhoused. You have temporary shelters. There's a lot of places that provide food. Of course, there's, they're under-resourced in total, but housing and shelter and heating during the winter months is one of the most challenging just because it does take up space. It's generally expensive, but if these pods work and they're not new, it seems like the idea has been around for a few years, Mm -hmm. but if it works and proves successful, it could be a very cost-effective process moving forward and establishing more similar, I guess, not like kind of camps, I guess, of these houses to allow people to transition and gives them a home base to work from. I don't know how all the oversight and everything is going to work with the facilities, but it'll be very interesting to monitor and see how that goes because Portland is known for their very large unhoused population. Mm-hmm. Like I said, we were there a couple of years ago and we were wandering around the city like we normally do. We take public transit, like to see how the city itself operates to get a feel for it. And we were wandering around and we ended up what kind of looked like a festival. And it was, it was, but it was of services for the unhoused population. They were giving out clothes, doing free dentistry from these mobile dentist stations. They were doing health exams, a whole bunch of different stuff. So it was great to see. Yeah, it looked like a little fair in yeah. that area. Yeah. So it was, it was great to see, you know, that takes care of those immediate needs. And something like this, the shelter will give that population 
place to stay warm during the winter, which that goes a long way towards health. Yeah. You know, Particularly in, in a pandemic. Particularly yeah. in a pandemic. That is our first story. Did you have anything to add to that, Heather? Yeah, I think it sounds like that's what stuck out to you about the Nahas population in Portland when we were there. For me, you know what it was when we were, we took an Uber from the airport to our Airbnb. The woman we were talking to, she had, she was a transplant to Portland for a while. And I think she had worked in mental health previously. And she was telling us about the dynamics of the unhoused population in Portland. So apparently at some point, a bunch of people who had issues, um, mental health challenges had had either been sent by other states there or had trans had transported to Portland because they got a huge grant or series of grants to help people with mental health challenges. That money ran dry. People aren't getting the services they need. Then bada bing, bada boom, you have a big unhoused population with um, mental with mental health needs and not being addressed. So there are so many layers with it. You know, even being there, we saw the benches where the public transit benches, that's the bus stop benches, I can't think of words. They were segmented off where you could only sit up so you couldn't lay down. We saw people riding. It's, it seems like in a way they're professional public transit riders. They would do that all day to stay out from like the um, the rain, and, the cold, rain yeah. and cold, right? And it made sense. It was It's a lovely transit system clearly not a, a solution for people so no. it's cool to see this happening and our second story so good bad <laughs> the second story is the perennial topic COVID-19 mm-hmm. so of course Thanksgiving is tomorrow and I was you know browsing around seeing what news stories going on uh, looking on Twitter and I came across a story that was uh, by CNN Health says one in three parents say family holiday gatherings are worth the risk of COVID-19. Now, they throw a lot of numbers out in this article. I don't know how true all of them are. Yeah. But the one thing that really stood out to me is they have this infographic uh, in the article that is kind of like, I guess, supposed to be a snapshot of their survey results. The first one is they're going to exclude family members with COVID-19 exposure or symptoms. 88% of people in the survey say they're going to exclude those family members. What that tells me though is 12% of people are saying, I don't care if my family has COVID. Yeah. We're getting together because tradition is more important. And then similar to that, 64% of people are going to exclude family who do not practice COVID-19 precautions. So effectively what that says to me is a third of the people surveyed said, I don't care if my family may have COVID. I don't know for sure, but I'm okay with that. Yeah. This infographic caught my eye too. So I I saw the 88% differently than you did. So I'm not, I get it. Like 12%, oh my word, 12% of people were like, come on over, whatever. You're hacking up a lung. You're you're not well. Come on over. Let's have some turkey together. But it doesn't really shock me because on anything you're going to, I'm sure, I'm guessing there are people within that, within that 12% who are either COVID deniers or they want to think it's the flu or if they take their vitamins, they'll be okay. These are things that we've heard humans say right to us so our, um, our little family members have said it's just the flu if you take your vitamins you have nothing to worry about yeah and that what that tells me in those cases my hope is that all of that 12 percent who would fall into that category of being like come on over they don't have an understanding of how much havoc the disease can reach both immediately or longer term 
it, the impact is still the same. People are going to get sick. So we are going to see a spike in numbers, right? And that's 12% who were willing to admit it. Mm-hmm. So I am left to believe there's more people out there who would do what they have to do to convince themselves that it's okay to let that, that family member in. Yeah, the 64% though, that is what was jarring to me. The 64% of said they, so that what that means is what is that that's 46%. Yeah. Oh boy, 30, where's 36. 36% ah, uh, said that they would include a family member who wasn't using COVID precautions. That's much more concerning to me. To me, realistically, both the stats are actually the same because, you know, one, they know they have it. The other is saying, I don't know if they have it, but, you know, they don't practice safety. So as a pessimist, I would say you have to assume they do have it. So therefore, you're kind of saying 64% of people would exclude their family members who might have it. Mm-hmm. And on the flip side, 36 are okay saying you might have it, but that's fine. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, some of these families who are willing to invite family members over who don't necessarily practice COVID precautions may think that they have this grand plan and we're going to social distance. Mm-hmm. We're going to wear face mask. I mean, probably not. You got to eat at some point. That's the point. Uh, we're going to do all these things to be safe. A large part of these family gatherings, of course, is going to be children. Mm-hmm. And what I think of is kids are going to do what kids are going to do. They want to go see grandma. They want to go see you know, the other family members, especially if you've been cooped up yeah, for get most all those of the year. hugs. Yeah. yeah. And I think of when we host Thanksgiving on a normal year, which we're not this year, I spend a good portion of the day trying to keep children's fingers out of the sockets because <laughs> we don't have a child proofed home. Yeah. And the parents are just so excited to be around other adults yeah. sometimes that, well, it falls on us, the non parents, to keep the kids well, away. It falls on you. Okay. <laughs> To keep them from falling down our stairs and sticking their fingers yeah. in sockets because they just want to do it because they have that opportunity. I, yeah. I, I don't know. It's just some, somehow they're drawn to it. I don't get it. The point of that is kids aren't controllable. Mm-hmm. Like every parent's probably going to say that they're, they're kids. Yeah. Yeah. They're going to get into stuff. Yep. Doesn't bother us. But I think whenever you start dealing with family gatherings, you're going to have vulnerable populations potentially there like your grandparents. In the article they talk about, or maybe it was um, another thing I was reading where someone's family wants to get together and their mother's reasoning was, well, you know, I don't have that long left on the earth anyways. I'm in my 60s. Yeah, I think it was this article. I was like, oh. I'm in my 60s, so, you know, I'm going to enjoy life while I can. And the other person, the daughter's like, but if we're safe, then you might have more than if we don't take precautions. So, yeah, there's... There's a give and take, and I definitely see my side of the family. If I were willing to get together, I think that's the mentality as well. My my mom would say, well, I'm getting older anyways, so it's worth the risk to have family time. Mm-hmm. Where I'm saying, I, I can skip one. We've always delayed my family uh, celebrations of holidays. We almost always do them off dates, and why not just wait till January or February once vaccines start rolling out to plan a family get-together? Yep. Yeah, or even if you have to delay it, just de- or nix it for the year, you have to do it, right? Like we hope that that could happen in January, or February. We're still holding on to hope, but uh, we don't know. I think there are there. I think there are a couple things happening with this. So one is the thirty six percent who are letting family members in who they know don't use COVID precautions. I think people, we're, we as people, are really good 
at convincing ourselves that we're going to be okay. Like, well, they're not showing symptoms. Well, I don't know anybody who's really been sick. Well, my mom or my dad is 68, 75, 83. I don't know. But they're really healthy. There's always these buts to go with it. And we, I think, tend to think in kind of big pictures. We don't remember all the details of what it looks like to have a family gathering. We're going to sit around. We'll just be eating for a few minutes. We'll put our masks back on. We'll eat outside. It's nice. Whatever all these things people are planning. In that article, it's somebody writing in saying, hey, my mom wants to do this. And here's the guilt trip she's laying on me. And here's what's happening. The person who is basically like the consultant responding to this person saying, think about it. So you get there. You drive six hours. You're going to sit outside and eat. Well, what if you go to the bathroom? You're just going to go off the side of the road somewhere. What is your mom really the person who you get there and is going to not ask you to come in, you know, or you're tired. She's going to try to get you to stay the night. So you have to walk yourself through all these details that I think a lot of people aren't thinking about for whatever the reason, whether it's intentional, subconscious, unintentional. It's clear we're going to see spikes in numbers because of these mentalities. Yes. I look at it too. Part of the way they phrase this question is, or the response, that their family members who do not use COVID-19 precautions. You know, you have people who are reckless drivers who think they're safe drivers. You know, they don't wear a seatbelt because they think I'm a safe driver. This is going to be the family members who say, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm practicing my COVID precautions. I wear a mask. It doesn't cover my nose because I need to be able to breathe. And I only go to the store twice a day. (laughs) I used to go four times. So in their mind, they're practicing precautions, but they could have contracted COVID. So chances are lower, but how safe are they being? Mm -hmm. You know, are they washing their hands frequently? I mean, there's a lot of steps you could skip and still think you're being safe. Yep. It's, It's a high risk. That's again, why we're not doing it this year. And I think my family, they're okay with that. If they weren't, I would still be okay with that because I am of the mentality of, you know what, one year of not sitting around the table at Thanksgiving, maybe Christmas together is could lead to many more years where we have those options. Back when the pandemic was first starting, back in March, we were invited to go see my grandfather for his 90th birthday, yes. I believe. And we said, hey, I don't know. It was literally the week it was kicking off big yeah, time. We yeah. said, I, I don't feel safe. He's 90, so clearly he'd be at higher risk. And I don't want to, I couldn't go up there and I had been traveling for work up until that day, basically. I couldn't go up there to visit family and feel good about it because I know he'd be at risk. That's an obvious. He's 90 years old. Especially men are very prone to ignoring underlying health conditions. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people just assume they're healthy and they could have a condition that would, you know, diabetes, something like this that's going to make them a higher risk that they don't necessarily know. So you can't just say like, all of us are healthy. None of us would be a high-risk population because you, you just could be and you don't know it yet. Yeah, and it, yeah, we did not go to that. They did wind up canceling it. Yes. And we felt sad but good about that decision. We were actually traveling that week too. You had just traveled. I was going to be traveling shortly thereafter for work. And I think over a period of all the news rolling out within about a day, we knew that we had to cancel our part in it. It makes me sad to see these numbers. I think that's the the infographic. That's the what word pops to mind because there are going to be people who are directly affected by these choices and then indirectly because the people who are partaking in these kind of things are going to become carriers at some instances mm-hmm. to others. So, yeah, One thing that's crazy too, 
beginning of April, whenever it was starting to spike, we kind of hit that first peak and we we're peaking at around 30,000 new cases a day. And that was like, whoa, this is the worst it's of it. Huge, yeah. In some people's me. mind. Yeah. Then we get into the summer months. A lot of people started vacationing. We hit a new spike in the 60s to 70,000. And then it came back down. Last weekend, we spiked almost 200,000 on one day. We averaged over 150,000 for the last week every day. That's insanely different. I made the decision not to go see my grandfather when there was 30,000 cases. We didn't know a lot. And obviously, people, the fatality rate was much higher, partially because we weren't testing as many people, but partially because we didn't have treatment yet, didn't know how the disease worked. Sure, 150,000, the fatality rate's way lower. Clearly, it's everywhere now. Mm-hmm. We were like, maybe we've been in contact, maybe not. At this point, if you're out and about and you're traveling, very strong chance you're going to come in contact with it. Just there's too many yeah. active cases. Yeah. So I think one one thing that is important to note is, you know, we made our decision uh, very intentionally with nixing Thanksgiving dinner this year because my we weren't we're not podding p o d d i n g we're not in a COVID pod with my brother, his partner, their kids, or with my parents. And my dad, he has a job where he is ex- high exposure and he hasn't seen an impact from that yet. So, but he's also very open, like, hey, I'm not going above and beyond to take precautions. I understand that people are, and I respect that. But I think if they, if we had had a quarantine pod or something, or we knew flat out everybody was quarantined for a couple of weeks beforehand, we would have absolutely considered it, but that isn't our situation. So what I don't know is how many people took this survey. I what think the it's supposed to be 1,500. 1,500, okay, what the deal is on that. I just looked at the infographic um, particularly. That's what stuck out to me for this instance. I, I have people I know and you know who have made a choice together with family, and they're doing so very thoughtfully and intentionally. So um, I think there is, is plenty of that as well. But seeing these numbers, it tells me there are more people not being intentional and thoughtful than I had anticipated, which is, which is scary. Yeah. So we'll switch away from COVID All right. to something a little more positive <laughs> Yay. again. And the next story, and there's kind of a reason we wanted to go in this order. The next story is from CNN. It's called The Good Stuff. I guess they have a section for positive news. We need this. So it's a fifth grader wants to deliver 100,000 meals to people in need before Thanksgiving Day. Doesn't look like he's going to hit that because this article came out um, November 23rd. And at this point, he only had four or 5,000 meals. But the point of it is he set this goal of, you know, he wants to help other families out there who do not necessarily have food at Thanksgiving or because of the pandemic and job loss, they need food. It's great to see this fifth grader making this initiative, wanting to do something for his community. Many years ago, when we had very few resources, Heather started this kind of I didn't like it tradition of uh, she'd buy Thanksgiving dinners for families who were in need. And oh, I, yeah. I think in some ways she spent more on their Thanksgiving meals than we did on, on ours. Yeah. It kind they of had bigger families, though. Kind of became a tradition for us to at Thanksgiving to provide a meal to at least one family. And it was great. It was all on Heather to do that. It kind of transitioned to and we started doing like by Christmas for a family. Mm-hmm. So we started participating in those. And then it's it's changed a little bit to our tradition. And this is just us. We go to like a Denny's or some kind of diner. This is because of my background. My mother was a waitress her whole life. Or well, my whole life growing up. 
we do a random tip to our waitress as kind of a random act of kindness. So that's something we started as a tradition. We like it. And I think one thing to do this year, since Christmas is probably going to be disrupted, Thanksgiving is disrupted, you should have a little extra money that you're not spending on the meal. Our meal this year is going to be much smaller. So it's a good opportunity to find a new tradition, something like, you know, this kid's wanting to raise these 100,000 meals by Thanksgiving Day. He may not hit it this year. I hope the kid tries to do it again next year and keeps trying to improve on his number. Yes. I think that'd be awesome. And he is. See, he's such an altruist because this he started. Uh, what was the other thing he started? Oh, he started a collection for toys, toys. to mm-hmm. hospital kids who are in the hospital. So this kid is cool. So even the intentionality behind it, he 4,000, 5,000 sacks. That's amazing no it's not 100,000 but that's amazing it's four that's four or five thousand more than I've done for people Mm -hmm. right and he is so thoughtful at this what your fifth grade what you're like nine ten eleven something like that so he has people write messages of hope on the bag itself so this kid is just a little powerhouse yeah no so that's you know it's excellent to see and I think with everything negative going on with COVID, um, heated tensions because of its being election year, one way to get out there and kind of change your day is figure out some small way that you can to uh, offset the the blues of not having your family over. Yeah. You know, we were talking about like what we get to do. It's it's a joy to be able to, to get to do that. And with what we tip, it's not going to change their life. No. But here, the way that I'm going to share a little bit about what the way we do it, because there isn't a right or wrong way. So our approach to it is we'll write a card, we'll get a little card, and we'll write a message. Basically, it's not long or anything, and we don't have a script for it, but basically like uh, an ICU, you're doing tremendous work. We know how hard you're working, and we try to leave it and then bolt out the door after we pay our bill. Yeah. So, you know, again, it's... They're doing very hard work. Uh, a lot of people don't tip. We do value what they're doing. And we know it can't be easy to have to work on the holidays. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's, we, we try to go on Christmas Eve. That's yeah. one of our traditions. Yeah. Is, especially, I know my mom, as when she was a waitress, would work Christmas Eve and things like this because she knew her kids, we could celebrate on our own time. And she wanted all the other workers to be able to get spend times with their family. Mm-hmm. So she was giving of herself. And I yeah. kind of think that normally when you go into a diner, you know, on a Christmas Eve, it's going to be the older population or not population, but, you know, yeah. the older waitresses yeah. working, not the young ones. I just, in my mind, assume they're all doing the same thing. They're working that day so the families with younger children can be with their kids. Yeah. It, yeah, we hope it, we hope it brings some joy and it keeps, it. I think it keeps us in check because again, we're not going to pretend that it's going to buy them a house by any means, but it is something that it helps us keep our priorities in the holiday season because it's so easy for me to get caught up in the hustle and bustle. It's fun. And also we love diner food. So it really mm-hmm. is win-win. Truly love Denny's so much. Yeah. It's just a way. It's not to, always a Denny's, but I no, love Denny's. It's just a way to pay a little thanks to the jobs that are a lot of times thankless, mm-hmm. especially on the days that you know, you don't want to be there, but you're forced to because that's the job. Yeah. It's cool to see this kid. He He's with the with the program much sooner than we were. And I hope a lot of people read this article because somebody like him at his young age and his diligence and thoughtfulness is a reminder that we can all do something 
regardless of how many, how much time or little time or how much money or little money that we have. So that will be it this week. If you have any questions or comments, you can email us. At, if you have traditions, yeah. let's hear about that. Yeah, yeah. at takingsocialstock at gmail.com. You can leave a review on iTunes if you want. That would be great. We but, do like five stars. Of course. <laughs> but otherwise, that'll be it for this week. So we'll see you next time. 